Hello, this is Dr. Peng Xianqian, the editor in chief of Heart Rhythm. This is a summary of the June 2022 issue of the journal. The first article is non-invasive electrocardiographic imaging guided targeting of drivers of persistent atrial fibrillation, the target AF1 trial. The purpose of this study was to use ECGI mapping to guide localized driver ablation in patients with persistent atrial fibrillation. 40 patients were enrolled. The authors found that ECGI-guided ablation plus PVI results in high freedom from AF during follow-up and an ablation response in a large proportion of patients. Using driver type and characteristics may facilitate a hierarchical ablation approach. The next article is Machine Learning Derived Major Adverse Event Prediction of Patients Undergoing Transvenous Lead Extraction Using the ESC EHRA EORP European Lead Extraction Controlled Electra Registry. The purpose of this study was to develop a machine learning-based risk stratification system to predict the risk of major adverse events after transvenous lead extraction. The authors used the Electra registry to train the machine learning, then applied to predict the risk of major adverse events in 3,555 patients. The authors found that the machine learning models incrementally improved the risk stratification for identifying those at risk of major adverse events. The self-normalizing neural network has the additional advantage of providing a personalized finite risk assessment for patients. This may aid patient selection making and allow better preoperative risk assessment and the resource allocation. Coming up is experience with malfunctioning leadless pacemaker, troubleshooting and the management during medium-term follow-up. The aim of this study was to report our experience with the management of malfunctioning nano-steam leadless pacemakers, including premature battery depletion. Nano-steam leadless pacemaker malfunction occurred in 20 of 49 patients, or 40.8%. Premature leadless pacemaker battery failure was observed in 18 of 20 affected patients, or 90%. The authors conclude that the instance of nano-steam leadless pacemaker early life battery failure was higher than previously reported. Nano-steam leadless pacemaker extraction in an older population seems to be safe and effective. Three monthly follow-up seems to be effective at preventing in-between nano-steam leadless pacemaker-related hospitalization. Up next is microbiological diagnosis in cardiac implantable electronic device infections detected by sonication and next-generation sequencing. Consecutive patients with clinical signs of device-related infection from three tertiary centers in Denmark 
were included in the study. In 110 patients with clinical signs of device-related infection, the authors identified the causative pathogen in 95% of the cases, irrespective of device-related infection type. In pocket device-related infection, next-generation sequencing analysis of generators achieved sensitivity of 90%. For systemic DRI, blood cultures reached a sensitivity of 93%. The authors conclude that using a strategy including sonication and next-generation sequencing, they identified the causative pathogen in 95% of device-related infections. Next one is current clinical practice of subcutaneous implantable cardioverter defibrillator. Analysis using JROAD-DPC database. The purpose of this study was to identify the characteristics of current SICD therapy using a nationwide database. A total of 8,690 patients implanted with ICD were analyzed. The authors found that SICD was more likely to be implanted in younger patients and those with a history of ventricular fibrillation, non-sustained VT, Brugada syndrome, and dialysis treatment. The proportion of SICD implantation increased especially in patients with Bugatta syndrome. The instance of in-hospital complications was low in SICD recipients. The next paper is the Auster Flex Registry, three months outcomes after left atrial appendage occlusion using a next-generation device, a matched pair analysis to evolution. The authors aim to compare procedural results of Watchman Flex in patients on due antiplatelet therapy at about three months with data with Watchman from the Evolution Registry. 164 consecutive patients receiving the Watchman Flex device in four European centers were included in the retrospective Auster Flex Registry. As a control group for a matched pair analysis, 1,020 patients treated with the Watchman device and data up to first follow-up, that's about three months, from evolution were used. The authors found that the periprocedural early three months outcome with Watchman Flex demonstrate a similar safety profile and an improved seeding rate compared to Watchman device. Next up is impact of baseline left ventricular volume on left ventricular reverse remodeling after cardiac resynchronization therapy. The purpose of this study was to evaluate the impact of baseline LV volumes on LV reverse remodeling after CRT and whether this is associated with improved survival. A total of 864 patients were included, of whom 101, or 12%, were in quartile 1, which is less than 65 ml per meter square. 272, or 32%, in quartile 2, which is 65 to 95 ml per meter square. 
247 or 29% in quartile 3, and 151 in quartile 4, and 93% in quartile 5, which is greater than 155 ml per meter square. They found that many patients with larger baseline LV volumes still show significant LV reverse remodeling after CRT and had superior survival, regardless of baseline LV volumes, than did patients without LV reverse remodeling. Therefore, CRT should not be denied on the basis of severe LV dilatation. The following article is predictors and outcomes of in-hospital referrals for forensic investigation after young sudden cardiac death. A prospective two-year analysis of in-hospital deaths following out-of-hospital cardiac arrest, or OHCA, in Victoria, Australia, was conducted using a statewide registry combining data from ambulance, hospital, and forensic resources. They found that OHCA caused 26.3% of all deaths, N equals to 1301, in Victorians aged 1 to 50 years. Of 107 sudden cardiac death patients referred to the coroner for, from hospitals, 25 or 23.3% had illicit substances identified on toxicological analysis. 81 patients, or 75.7%, underwent autopsy, with cause of death determined in 65 cases, or 80.2%. The authors conclude that more than one-fourth of young Victorian deaths results from OHCA. Approximately half of patients dying in hospital following OHCA are referred to the coroner. Patients referred are young, more likely to die in the emergency department, and reside rurally. Forensic assessment identifies high rates of illicit drug use in young sudden cardiac death patients and provides a definitive cause of death for most patients. Up next is SCN5A mutation in Brugada syndrome is associated with substrate severity detected by electrocardiographic imaging and high-density electroanatomic mapping. This study aimed to correlate SCN5A mutation with substrate severity in Brugada syndrome assessed by ECGI and high-density electroanatomic map. 39 Brugada syndrome patients with ECGI were included. Eight patients, or 20.5%, were SCN5A positive. At the baseline ECGI, uh, ECGI map, the mean RVOT recovery time was longer in SCN5A positive patients. After adjuvant administration, SCN5A positive patients showed longer RVOT activation time and longer RVOT recovery time. The authors conclude that in Brugada syndrome, SCN5A positive patients compared with SCN5A negative patients exhibit marked 
depolarization and repolarization abnormalities as assessed by ECGI and epicardial high-density electroanatomic map. Up next is poor R-way progression as a predictor of sudden cardiac death in general population and subjects with coronary artery disease. The study population consisted of 6,854 subjects. Main endpoints were sudden cardiac deaths, cardiac deaths, and all-cause mortality. Poor R-wave progression was defined as R-wave amplitude of less than or equal to 0.3 millivolt in lead V3 and R-wave amplitude in lead V2 of less than or equal to R-wave amplitude in lead V3. Poor R-wave progression occurred in 213 subjects, or 3.1%. During the follow-up period of 24 plus minus 10 years, 3723 subjects, or 54.3%, died. Poor R-wave progression was associated with adverse prognosis in the general population and with sudden cardiac deaths in subjects with coronary artery disease. The next one is uh, statins to prevent pacing-induced cardiomyopathy, evidence from bench applied to clinical studies. The purpose of the study was to explore the mechanisms and clinical outcomes of statins in AV block patients receiving pacing. Red ventricular cardiomyocytes were treated with atorvastatin, liver X-receptor or LXR agonist, and LXR antagonist during pacing. PICs were divided into three groups, right ventricular pacing, pacing with concomitant atorvastatin treatment, and sham control. The author also enrolled 1,717 AV block patients who had received a permanent pacemaker. The authors found that in experimental models, atorvastatin ameliorated lipid accumulation cardiomyocytes and the fibrosis in left ventricular myocardium induced by pacing. Clinically, treatment with statins was associated with less heart failure hospitalization and cardiovascular deaths in AV block patients receiving pacemaker therapy. These findings support the conclusion that statins may be useful in preventing pacing-induced cardiomyopathy. Up next is diagnostic accuracy of the 12-lead electrocardiogram in the first 48 hours of life for newborns of a patient with congenital long QT syndrome. The authors conducted a retrospective review of all neonates born in Mayo Clinic to patients with greater than or equal to one pathogenic variant in a long QT syndrome causative gene who had at least one ECG in the first 48 hours and genetic test results were available. Overall, 74 newborns were included. The mean QTC interval in the first 48 hours for neonates that ultimately were genotype positive was greater than that for genotype negative neonates. When using a recommended threshold QTC interval of greater than or equal to 440 milliseconds, 
Six of 50 genotype-positive neonates, or 12%, were missed or underdiagnosed, and 17 of 24 genotype-negative neonates, 71%, were overdiagnosed. The authors conclude that the newborn ECG should not be used in isolation to make the diagnosis of long QT syndrome, since it will result in many misclassifications. Genetic testing must be initiated before discharge, and proper anticipatory guidance is vital while awaiting test results. Up next is structural and functional organization of intrathoracic extracardiac autonomic projections to the porcine heart. Implications for targeted neuromodulation therapy. Eleven Yucatan mini pigs underwent electrical stimulation of the cervical vagi and stellate ganglia. The majority of parasympathetic and sympathetic cardiac evoked responses were mitigated after debranching of the right vagal sympathetic trunk, rostral to the heart, whereas the left VST or vagal sympathetic trunk. Demonstrated a distribution with greater dispersion and a caudal intrathoracic shift compared to the right. The authors conclude that the nexus point for optimum neuromodulation engagement of parasympathetic efferent projections to the heart is the cervical vagus that the T1 to T2 paravertebral chain ganglia for sympathetic control. Removal of principal sympathetic efferent projection to heart requires targeting the T1 to T4 regions of the paravertebral chain. The next article is stabilization of ranitidine receptor type 2 maintains right ventricular function, reduces the development of ventricular arrhythmias, and improves prognosis in pulmonary hypertension. The authors. Aim to investigate whether direct pharmacological intervention in RV muscle with dendrolene, a stabilizer of the cardiac ranitidine receptor 2 (RYR2), has a protective effect against RV dysfunction and arrhythmia in a pulmonary arterial hypertension red model. In that red model, RV hypertrophy. Dilation and the functional decline were observed, with a survival rate of 0% two months after induction. In contrast, chronic dendrolene treatment improved all these RV parameters and increased the survival by 80%. The authors conclude that stabilization of RYR2 by dendrolene has potential as a new therapeutic agent against the development of RV dysfunction. And fatal arrhythmia associated with pulmonary arterial hypertension. Coming up next is genome sequencing in a genetically elusive multi-generational long QT syndrome pedigree identifies a novel long QT2 causative, deeply intronic KCNH2 variant. The purpose of this study. Was to identify and characterize functionally a novel long QT syndrome genetic substrate in a multi-generational genotype-negative long QT pedigree. The patient was a 40-year-old woman 
with a history of syncope, seizures, ventricular fibrillation, and a family history of long QT syndrome and sudden deaths. Commercial genetic testing of all long QT syndrome causative genes was negative. Genome sequencing was performed on six affected family members. The authors found a deep intronic KCNH2 variant was present in all affected individuals. They conclude that a novel deep intronic KCNH2 variant was identified in a multi-generational, genetically elusive long QT syndrome pedigree. The iPSC cardiac myocyte established that the variant is the monogenetic cause for the family's long QT syndrome. Deep intronic variants within the two most common long QT syndrome susceptibility genes should be considered in patients with seemingly genetically elusive long QT syndrome. These original research articles are followed by six research letters. The titles are as follows. One, ultra-low energy cardioversion in a peak model of atrial fibrillation, a feasibility study. Two, improving adoption of evidence-based implantable cardioverter defibrillator programming a single-center experience. Three, zero-contrast left atrial appendage occlusion and peri-device leak closure in patients with advanced kidney disease. Four, when adenosine is not enough. Five, procedural and short-term follow-up outcomes of Amplazer, Amulant Occluder versus Watchman Flex device and meta-analysis. And six, simultaneous conduction system pacing and AV node ablation via auxiliary versus femoral access. These letters are followed by a creative concept paper called Simultaneous Repair of Left Atrial Appendage Perforation and Appendage Closure by Transatrial Deployment of a Septal Occluder Device, Preclinical and Clinical Validation. I hope you enjoy this podcast. For Heart Rhythm, I'm the Editor-in-Chief, Dr. Peng Xian Qian.